You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. In today's episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the gig economy, which covers everything from ride-sharing services like Uber to providing specific services for a fee, like taking on airtasker jobs to assemble IKEA bookshelves or helping a small baking business with their social media. It's estimated that over 250,000 Australians are part of the gig economy, which includes side hustlers with a nine-to-five and those working full-time as a freelancer. So chances are that many of you have actually tried your hand at a side hustle or freelance work arrangement at some point. Now, although gig economy work can provide greater flexibility and choices in your day-to-day work, it can also be very unpredictable and uncertain on both your time and money, which can lead you to financial stress. So in today's conversation, our producer Monique, who's worked extensively in the gig economy over the last decade, and myself, who've dabbled occasionally in small freelance jobs on the side, chat to someone who's been fully immersed in the gig economy world. We're going to unpack everything from managing difficult clients and getting paid to unpaid experience and budgeting with a variable income. Our guest today is Michelle Grace Hunter, who is a live music photographer based in Melbourne. She tours Rural, has her own photography courses, she's published a book, she's made a film, and a lot more that we're going to get into in today's episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for being here today. It's really nice for you to be here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, good. So, um, yeah, we're just going to chat a bit about the gig economy, um, some experience you you may have had, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, when did you first get into photography? Yeah, so I started a little bit um, later in life. Um, I was 31 when I first picked up a camera. So it's a bit of an unusual story and, and a weird kind of pathway into um both photography and freelance work because uh, before that I was kind of working in um, 
sport and, and events and and kind of more more a corporate life and then you know um going into like the freelance and, and more um you know work that comes and goes and you've got to you know get used to that type of flow took a little while to get used to as well but yeah so I started at 31 and and um I really fell in love with um music photography specifically and I loved working with artists and musicians and um it was kind of a bit of a natural progression but it I kind of just fell into it essentially and and uh like almost 12 years later um and I'm happy to say that it's been really successful and I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to do something that I really love. That's fantastic. I think there's often the perception that the gig economy is just for people in their 20s and at uni and people that are sort of all over the place. But as you entered a little bit later on in your career, do you think there was any challenges um, changing a bit later on? Uh, to be honest, I think the fact that I'd, uh, you know, had a pretty solid working career, um, you know, invented and marketing in that sort of space, um, it kind of actually set me up a little bit better because I had a really good understanding of the business world and just how to kind of, um, I guess, you know, communicate effectively. Um, I, I was never concerned about um, negotiations and and um, things like that, which I think a lot of uh, younger people I really see struggle. Um, you know how to how to price themselves accordingly, um, how to communicate effectively, how to meet deadlines, like all of those things that I think are really essential to what I do now as a freelancer and working in you know the music industry. I think I really learned from having kind of a stable you know job that you know was nine to five. So. Um, yeah, it's been really beneficial, I think, um, to learn, I guess, to have those skills and then and then come into something that's, you know, it's it's not nine to five. My hours are all over the place. Um, you know, I'm often working late at night and um, it, it kind of set me up to have just, I think, a really good business structure, essentially. Yeah, nice. Like, um, how do you manage your difficult clients? Um, you know, I've had the experience like where you quote someone, they either don't get back to you or they say it's like it's out of their budget, you know, that kind of stuff. How do you deal with that kind of thing? I never really see them as difficult clients. I just see them as clients that need to be um, communicated to effectively to like, if, if, for example, if they say that I'm out of their budget, I either need to communicate why I price myself that way or like I need to show that I'm adding value to their business. Um, and so that's, or it's a, it's a space for me to negotiate. So if it's, um, you know, if they're saying it's out of the budget, I'm like, okay, so what is your budget? What can, how can I then tailor what I give you as a service to fit into that budget? So is it less hours? Is it less photographs? Are the photos utilized in a different way? Like it's always an opportunity. I think it's not, um, you know, I never see those types of things as being overly difficult. Um, I mean, obviously we do have nightmare clients that, you know, always want more um, than you can, you know, that they've paid for or that you are humanly able to provide and stuff like that. I just think it's um, really honest communication. Um, and again, I don't really, I never really shy away from those types of um, issues and just, I just, communicate really effectively and if they've asked for something that's outside my means or outside the time frame or anything like that I just I'm just really upfront and let them know or hey what you paid for actually got you xyz you're asking for abc now we need to like work out something further or um you know what 
you've just again it's just a, it's an opportunity to negotiate um not something to be like overly concerned with having said that like some people are just you would never please them and I'm also not afraid to if I get to that point to be like listen I don't think this is working out perhaps I'm not the photographer for you so having that confidence to go sometimes the like client relationship it just doesn't match you and maybe there's somebody that would do a better job or they can provide a different service it's just like really open and honest communication and I think you know after you've been in the industry for a while I'm not really like personally attached to stuff like I don't get too emotionally involved um so if it's not working out I'm happy just to cut my losses and be like catch you later that's that's like so good you said that because that's something that I was always scared of doing like just saying no even to begin with like if something wasn't matching like my type of style or whatever I was always too scared to say no I love saying no it's one of my favorite things I also like um referring people um now I think, you know, I'm really established. I've got plenty of work. And if I, I can see that a job's not for me, I love referring it to people that I know that will do a way better job than me yes. as well. It's just like, that's not my style. This person will do an amazing yes. job for that because it's going to be less stress on me. If I'm trying to fit a brief that I know is going to, I'm going to really struggle with, it's not my style. It's not how I do it. Um, but I know someone's going to like knock it out of the park. Like, I think that's a really good um, business practice as well. It also reflects really well on me because I'm going to give the client, like they're going to have a better artist that's going to work even better than I will. So like, it's there's no negatives in in that situation, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Have you ever had someone like not actually pay you at all after the end of a job or a shoot or anything? And like, how did you deal with that? It's only happened a couple of times, um, you know, generally speaking, it's been totally fine. I had one client once and I just trying to think what I ended up doing. I know there was one particular client. I actually, I, I, I'm not a big fan of like publicly calling out. I'm actually quite against it because I think there's just too much call out culture of just ridiculous stuff. But there was one instance where, um, a client had um, actually used the film that myself and Claudia worked on for International Women's Day and they had this screening and then they didn't pay us. And it was like six months later, I ended up getting legal advice and, you know, and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was kind of like the principle. It was like, okay, you were using our film to make yourselves look good on International <laughs> Women's Day and then you didn't even pay the, the female artists that were like mm. responsible for making. So it just felt like, a real slap in the face and actually the lawyer said look I don't usually suggest this but in this instance perhaps doing a a, like I did a tweet that was basically like hey has anyone heard from these particular people because we're trying to get paid like it was really this innocent like does anyone know how I can contact them they're not getting back to us and what actually happened in that instance is um it was a venue and two of the bookers that booked that venue were actually women that had seen the film And they emailed me and they were like, yo, what's happening here? And I told them and they're like, okay, we're going to email them and say we're not going to book any further events at their venue unless they pay you. And they literally paid us within like 10 minutes. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not like, again, I'm not I'm not a big fan of like because there's there's so many more steps you need to go through to get to that point where you would like, I think potentially publicly saying something like that I would be exhausting all 
um, options and, and making sure that the, all of the modes of communication have been exhausted and are they just like literally swerving you? Do they have financial difficulties? Can you go, can there be a payment plan? Like all of those things. If they're just not responding though, I think, um, yeah, occasionally just a little cheeky tweet might get them across the line. <laughs> A lot of this it can all seem a bit overwhelming for someone just getting starting, started yeah. in the gig economy in the freelance world. So sure. it sounds like it's something where having a good community around you of other people working in the industry yes. or trying to get their feet in would be quite helpful. Yeah, I've actually gone into bat for people too, like that I've been mentoring that will say, hey, this person hasn't paid me and then I'll drop them a cheeky email as well to say, look, the industry's too small and you can't do this to people, especially young people um, and especially young women, I think, too. Like this is how like a lot of young women lose confidence. They think it's their issue or they haven't delivered or they're not happy with the, the, the product or whatever. And, um, you know, that's I'm pretty firm with this stuff. I am older and I, you know, I do have a type of personality that um, I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations, really honest conversations. So you know, if I can step in in, the, in that situation for someone, I will for sure. Would you have any tips for someone just getting started who maybe hasn't had some of those hard conversations before, or hasn't maybe asserted their own boundaries or negotiated? Um, how would they get started with that? Yeah, I always tell people that remember that it's business and like it's not personal often it's not personal so just trying to remove the emotion and or or thinking that you've done something wrong because that's what I think they often think it's like I think it's really personal they don't like the photos or just trying to remove that and just say like in any situation like if you've provided a service then you get paid like that's just how it works like it's, it's just like kind of breaking it down to be really black and white not emotional you've done the thing that you said you were going to do and now you get the money like so if you can kind of break it down like that um I think it helps people have that that confidence and assertiveness and the other thing is um actually having the knowledge around the industry so like knowing your rights knowing copyright knowing contracts like I'm really big on young people like you have to arm yourself with the knowledge so you know what you're talking about because a lot of the, the confidence stuff is actually a lack of understanding yeah. and not knowing where they can push, what the boundaries are. So you need to take that on yourself and, um, you know, arm yourself with the knowledge that's going to help you with that confidence. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I find like contracts are really helpful, but not, not all the time. So like when's the best time you should like use a contract? I'm actually not big on um, using contracts myself. Like a lot of the work that I do involves contracts. So a lot of people will give me contracts, for example, like labels or artists. I'm not big on actually providing contracts to clients. I'm big on really clear communication, written communication um, through yeah. either a, a quoting process or an email process. Yeah. Um, contracts, I think, can be work like legally like this legal jargon, words that a lot of people don't even understand. So instead, I'll just break it down in an email to say, this is what you get. This is what these photos entitle you to, how, like what the usage is, how you're able to use them. If you use them outside of this, it will be additional, like just really like dot point, super yeah. clear. None of this like, you know, four page thing that has all this legal shit that nobody can like actually read so yeah I avoid that a lot of like there'll be definitely people that disagree with me um especially like for example photographers in the in America you know America's so litigious like they just always want contracts where I'm like 
I'd rather just be really clear and upfront in an email. Um, I really very rarely have issues because I just make that communication very clear. And if there is something that if they've used a photo that's outside the usage, again, just really clearly communicating them. And it doesn't have to be like this big drama. It's just like, hey, we discussed this. You've used it outside the, you know, the agreement. That's usually a fee. Maybe we can negotiate something. Like it's just, again, an opportunity to communicate um, clearly, effectively. Does it need to be snarky, just really professional and nice? Yeah. Um, you could be assertive and not be a bitch or not be an asshole as well. Like that's something I'm really big on is just like just being nice to deal with and just yep. being really clear and, and, and honest with your communication. Yeah. Being nice really gets you a long way, I find. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. I, it's one yep. of the things I, I, I was really firm on when I was uh, started in the industry because there's so much negativity around the music industry and you have to be an asshole. It's so cutthroat. Mm. And I was like, I don't actually believe that I think Uh, there's really lovely people in this industry and you can be a nice person and it's totally fine and you know you don't just you don't allow yourself to be walked over but that's also different than um being an asshole yeah yeah 100% 100% (laughs) um so like when it comes to actual jobs and shoots how do you know what to charge um because everything I find when when I like get a new job or whatever it's just really hard to know what to charge the person for their type of job (laughs) the the real answer is how much they will pay but you don't know how much they'll pay so that's um (laughs) so um there's a couple of things so I a lot of people get really confused when I talk to them about this stuff because I have different rates for everything there's not I don't have a rate so I there's a few things that I'll consider when I'm quoting someone um are they with a label so are they actually signed to a label that is funding this work or are they an independent artist where this is coming out of their own pocket so those two things are really different for me um, and I will charge differently Um, the other second thing is how are the photos going to be utilized Um, where are they going and what um, what usage do they require so is it just promotional uses is it just on the website is it on Instagram is it are they doing a massive tour run where they're going to be using your photos for merchandise like there's so many variables that come into a quote um and then the third thing is obviously your time like how much you spend time are you spending on the day um and then how much time is it going to take you to edit so all of those things need to be taken into consideration the real thing is like it's actually like there's no answer to this it's actually a bit of trial and error to see what the market is going to bear. So mm-hmm. when you start getting lots of yeses, you're like, oh, okay, cool. People can afford this. Keep bumping your prices up. You start getting a bunch of no's. You're like, okay, people can't afford this. Like it's really, honestly, it's that easy. It's just like a bit of trial and error to see about where is about the sweet spot. Yeah. Obviously if a few things come into, you know, how long have you been doing it for? What's your experience? Do you have a reputation? Does your folio back up what you're charging? All of those things come into play, but there's not a answer to this. And all of us charge differently based on all of those things that I just mentioned. So it's can be confusing. Once you've been doing it a little while, you kind of, I don't know, I just know the sweet spot now. I'm just like, oh yeah, this person will be out of for this. This person will be out of for this. Like you kind of start to really understand, um, the differences in the clients. 
Do you find that talking to people who are doing similar things in the industry like you and comparing rates, does that help you sort of decide your own rates? Yeah, all of us that are doing this professionally, we all talk all the time. And, uh, you know, if somebody be like, oh, hey, I know you worked with this person or not, even sometimes like magazines or um, uh, venue or whatever, we all just talk and just say, hey, like, what would you charge for this? Or what do you think about this? Or just like we're constantly talking so um well, I know I am. Yeah, yeah. I know I am. So I know I'm just assuming that everyone else does this, but I definitely do this. Um, I've always been really open with this stuff and and trying to help, like um, Monique just said as well, like just younger people coming through as well and just being really open because it's really hard when you first start out. Like I just had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, uh, I don't know, hundred bucks. Like, <laughs> and you just like you know you work up from there. Yeah. And given this is a finance podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the money side of things because that's important as well. And given you're talking about different rates and different income coming from all sorts of different income sources, different clients, your invoicing, how how on earth do you deal with managing sort of your day-to-day living costs with income coming from all over the place? So you're not really sure when and where. Good question. Um, Both my, my husband and I are both freelancers. So I don't, I think we, it's, it's a really hard, it's hard to answer because you just get in the flow. It's really hard when you first start, uh, start out. So my husband's been doing, he's like kind of, he does more contract work. So it's like bigger blocks of contract, but he's still, um, essentially he's still, he's got his own business and he's, he's contracted in and out for, and it's creative as well, but it's, I guess it's bigger blocks that, um, you know, it might be six months and then another four months or whatever whereas mine is literally shoot to shoot to shoot so I think um initially it was a bit easier because we had his overall income was kind of like the stable income and then mine was the one that was kind of fluctuating and all over the place and now you know I've been doing this for so long it's like you just like there's so much money owing that it just it's like it's almost like forced savings because you know it's going to come in and like you know for example I think I've got like Actually, I could tell you. I'll have a look at my accounting software. What have I got outstanding? Um, probably like ten or fifteen grand. Yeah. Yeah, ten thousand dollars at the moment. So ten thousand dollars is owed, and that's just going to trickle in over the next month or so. And then I'm still doing jobs, so it's just like I've constantly got this flow now of money that's owed that's coming in slowly. And you know, one might be a thousand, one might be six grand, one might be $300. It's all over the place, but it's just like, it's trickling in um, kind of at an even pace. So it's just like, yeah, you kind of get in the flow. I know for people that have, (laughs) you know, a a monthly or a a bi bi fortnightly or however um, they get paid, they're probably listening to this and having a heart attack and going, how the hell? You do just get, I don't know, you just get really used to it. And, um, you know, it's a big contract, um land sorry a big um invoice lands and you're like hell yeah I can go shopping this weekend you know six grand just landed or you know it might be a lighter week and you have to chase a few people up but it's like yeah once you're in the flow it does seem to just just come through a little bit more evenly than at the start where you're like literally it's really it's hard it's, it takes you you know like I always say to people probably like five years to get yourself really established and in that flow where you are a little bit more comfortable. And that, I mean, I was just like, 
the hustle was real at the start. It was like just work, 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 because you just you don't know where that next paycheck's coming from. So, but once you've been established for a little while, you can, you know, be a bit pickier with your clients, take the more high-paying jobs, take a few more days off. It's like it's a it's a lot. The work-life balance once you're established is is really why you do something like this. It's really you do you are in control of the days that you can shoot and the days that you don't want to shoot and you can take time off and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's the best job in the world and you'd ha- I have such great work-life balance, but, you know, for pro- probably seven or eight years that wasn't the case. And, I, you know, I was in a pile of exhaustion and, like, taking every single job ever. So, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had some friends who have gone into freelance thinking they'd have great work-life balance, but they've ended up working seven days a week, sort of most of the hours of the day. And they've really, yeah. they might have been better off in a nine to five with the amount of work they were doing for what they were getting paid. It depends on your personality, I think, and it depends what's important to you. Like for me, um, I'm actually not financially driven at all. Um, I really, you know, I love my job so much. I'm just really lucky that you know, the money did come through like lots and lots of work and, and, you know, just gaining a great reputation and doing these really big projects that people are aware of. But, um, and I love the uncertainty and I love the fact that I don't know, August is completely free at the moment, but that's going to, you know, soon that's going to be booked up. But I, I love that. I don't, I don't know when the next email is coming in. I, for me, there's a freedom in that, that I, I really, really love and I felt very restricted in my jobs. I got, I used to get really bored after a couple of years in my kind of nine to five jobs, very restless, very bored. I'm not great when I'm sitting at a desk doing the same thing every day. And, and that's what I love about my job. Every single day is different. I'm all over the place. I'm at, sometimes at the studio, sometimes on location, sometimes I'm editing all day. Sometimes I'm overseas on tour for three months. Like it's totally random and I love that like that just gives me life honestly (laughs) (laughs) not everyone can say they love uncertainty so no I just I I, I've leaned into the uncertainty and it's I just would not have it any other way and you know it's frustrating sometimes because I know you know I know if rule's going to be touring soon there's going to be big chunks of time that I'm away and I don't know when that time is going to be so I can't plan anything yeah. and yeah. people will be like what are you doing in November I'm like I have no idea <laughs> so uh, you know it can be it can be hard and challenging with you know for example family events or mm. weddings and stuff like that like I just never know if I'm going to be yeah. around but I don't know I also just love that so you know yeah. it's definitely a personality thing and um if you don't like uncertainty this is not the career for you but if you like <laughs> It being a bit more spontaneous or, you know, someone might email me next week and go, hey, we need you in America at this time, February, whatever. And I can just be like, cool, yeah, I'm going to go, <laughs> you know. Awesome. So yeah. there's something really awesome and liberating in that being an option. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. I'm sure you get like many family and friends asking you to do particular shoots for them and stuff like that. Um, can it be yeah. awkward to ask payment from them? No. <laughs> I don't it's so funny I don't I'm not awkward about money at all like this is my job so um you know of course there's definitely situations when I will just do it because they're you know a really great friend or whatever but if it's if they're not if they're just like an acquaintance or maybe not a super super close friend mm-hmm. or for example a wedding like it's a wedding 
I have a fee that I will charge. It's like, I call it my mate's rates fee for weddings, which is like literally like a quarter of what I would usually charge. But I do think that you need to charge something for something that's that much work, like a full yeah. 10 to 12 hour day plus a week of editing and stuff like that. It's like a big job versus you know, go into a party with a camera, which whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mum will, will say, can you come and take some photos of your brother's birthday or whatever? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's like, it's not, it's, um, I'm not just a hard ass, but if it's something that's like, I think, you know, you, you definitely need to um, charge a fee for, I just say, hey, this is my fee for that. And then if yeah. they want to go to someone else, then that's fine. Like, it doesn't have to be awkward. Yeah. I awesome. don't think. And I always say, especially with weddings, I'm always like, it's so personal, like, I don't get offended if they want to go somewhere else or whatever. That's totally fine. It's yes. not, not a problem. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, even like when most photographers or anyone else in the arts, um, when they start out, I feel like volunteering is the way to go. Do we really have to volunteer to begin with or is there a way yes. around it? No, no way around it. Yeah. No, no, that, that like, um, I like how you said volunteer as well. Essentially, it's just working for free. But um, yeah, you, <laughs> need, you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need to be just putting yourself out there as much as possible because essentially you need two things to happen. One, people need to know you exist. Mm-hmm. And two, they need to know what you're like to work with. Those two things are really important. Um, so I was just shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. I was going to every single gig you could imagine. I was working with anyone that would work with me at the start just so that they knew who I were, who I was and they knew what I was like to work with. So what happens then is when you work, and so both, both my personal projects, one was a book on Australian hip-hop when I worked with 182 artists in two years. One was a documentary and photo series where I worked with over 100 women for that as well, a period of four years. So... I don't know, what's that? A lot Close of people. Probably a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. over 250. Over 250, that's individual artists, management, like all the people that are attached to those artists as well that then know who I am. So then when they come back, because, you know, then I'll need photos for something else in the future and then they come back to me and that's the opportunity to charge when people come to you yeah. asking you to do something. Like it's really clear cut for me. Like I don't think it's very difficult at all. Like people really overcomplicate this but it's like if people are coming to you for a service then you need to charge if you're going to someone else and saying hey would you like to work with me I've got this idea whatever that might be a situation where you can show them how you are to work with you can maybe do something really creative that's like you know um outside what they would usually do just Mm -hmm. like you know like a creative type of shoot that might be for your folio you might want to work with a particular artist, but they don't know who you are. So it's a great opportunity to just like contact them and say, hey, do you want to do you want to jam? Just come to the studio and do some cool stuff. And then if they love working with you, hopefully they'll come back to you. And then that's the opportunity that you can start charging them. So, um, yeah, definitely a big fan of um, getting out there and doing free work, but just knowing the right time to charge and knowing when you're being taken advantage of heaps of people don't know that for some reason (laughs) and they just continue to do free work for like 10 years and then they get upset that they're not getting paid but they haven't put value on the service that they're offering so it's like that's on you to understand when you're being taken advantage of when's the appropriate time to be charging um yeah, again, I don't know. For some reason, creatives seem really bad at knowing that. <laughs> I don't know why. 
Given you're not getting paid potentially for a while at the beginning and life costs money to live in, yes. um, how do yeah. you balance that? Do you see most people just working part-time jobs or doing yeah. their creative stuff on the side of their nine to five? Yeah. So, and also too, when you're at the start working for free, it doesn't mean you have to be, all your jobs are for free. It just means like, you know, some of them might be for free. Then you might be doing bits and pieces for people. I'm just telling people to shoot as much, like anybody that needs photography, just say that you'll do it. Just, just shoot, 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 shoot. Definitely a part-time job. When I first started, I had a job two days a week that was actually with a photographer helping him on his business. So Mm. he was paying me to do and it gave me a great insight on how a photography business works so I was helping he had a real estate photography business and I was helping him with bookings and editing and photoshop and all of these things um, to assist him so I was still in the industry working two days a week getting a little bit of income then I was able to shoot the rest of the days maybe a couple of days of working for free, maybe a couple of days were like, you know, getting a little bit of pocket money. And then, as you know, you keep building up to the point where I think, I think maybe within about six months, I said to him, Hey, I'm actually too busy to do this now. And he was like stoked. He's like, I'm, he's one of my mentors at the start. He's like, I'm so glad that you're at the point that you don't need this job anymore. So, which is really great. You know, you, you get to work up to that point where you don't need that extra income. And given you've spoken about the importance of both knowing other people in the industry to bounce rates and ideas off and even meeting new clients and working for them, how do you start building this network if you're just taking your first step into the freelance industry of whatever freelance creative thing you want to do? Yeah, you really need to immerse yourself in the scene or in the industry that you're in. So like for me, when I first started, I was just, I just immersed myself in the the hip hop scene here in Melbourne, like I just became part of the culture. So I was just at every single show, every single event, everything that had anything to do with anybody. I was just there. Um, You have to, you literally have to just become part of it. And it's, um, you know, social events, meeting bands, meeting artists, meeting um, managers and publicists. And, you know, there's so many industry events, you know, there might be a, a women in music lunch or there might be something that's got to do with Sounds Australia that you can be involved with. There's so many organisations that form part of the industry that you can get involved in to meet people. There's no use just being on the sidelines going, um, you know, and this is, this is a, like a lot of photographers do this, like they'll just pop in to do shoots and that's it. But if you want to be part of the community, you really need to um, get involved in as much as possible and just to meet as many people. The, those people are the people who are going to hire you. So it's like mm. I don't like using the word networking because I feel like it feels really transactional, but just you literally need to make friends with the people that are going to hire you. And people actually really enjoy hiring their friends. They like people work, like working with people that they like. So it doesn't have to be this weird, oh, networking, uh, you know, handing out business card. Like It's like it's literally just making friends and just, letting them know that, you know, hey, I do this. Like, can I send you a link to my folio or whatever, you know, or can I work with one of your artists that's that's new and up and coming? Maybe they don't have a big budget. Maybe we could just work together and on something cool. So there's so many ways that you can, you know, get yourself known. Um, and it's, I feel like it's just a really organic process. It doesn't need to be this very, you know, stiff, like, you know, we're going to go and hand out business cards which nobody does in this industry. <laughs> yeah. so, don't, so don't do that <laughs> I 
Yeah. Someone actually asked me for a business card the other day. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't actually have any. You can have my number. I had them when I first started out, but like now, I mean, you know, everything even for us now is on Instagram and stuff. Yeah, like exactly. That, so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. If people want to learn more about you and your work, where would you like to send them? Yeah. Uh, I've got a website. It's michellegracehunder.com. Um, and all of my social handles are Michelle G Hunter. So Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, um, all of the things are Michelle G Hunter. You'll find me there. Beautiful. Google, Google me. Yeah. Google me. You'll find <laughs> me. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share with listeners who are maybe interested in getting involved in the freelance creative arts industry? Yes, um, it's a it's a weird time at the moment for sure. Like post COVID, we're coming out of um, like a lot of people left our industry, um, which I do believe actually is an opportunity because we're just short staffed in every aspect of the, the music industry at the moment um, across the board. So if you are interested in doing something in this industry, it's a really good time to put your hand up and try and get involved and, and make yourself useful because it's like the, the industry is bleeding from <laughs> internally. Uh, we need a lot of help and a lot of hands on deck. So, um, yeah, I definitely see that as an opportunity. And I guess just to go back to what I was saying before, it's like it's, um, it's, it's a really, like you do need to work really, really, really hard. And it is, um, it's not glamorous all of the times, but there are, so you know, such amazing perks that come with, you know, um, working in the music industry, you get to work with such incredible artists and people and um, all the people that surround the industry as well. So for all of the hard work that you do, that there's all of these um, amazing highlights that happen, these pinch yourself moments where you're just like, I can't believe this is happening to me or I can't believe I'm working with this person. So, yeah, hopefully it evens out in the end. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Australian Finance Podcast today. And I hope listeners, especially those in interested in this career path, uh, take a lot from today's episode. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rask.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. 
After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.